Hello everyone and welcome to Celtic Preacher, looking at Jesus' wisdom on what it takes to build and to keep a good relationship today. Podcast 16. Celtic Preacher is now heard on many platforms. I think there's about 10 in all. So if you would like to subscribe, the podcast will automatically download to your phone or your iPad or your whatever you listen. You can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Podbean, Breaker, Overcast, whatever you get your your podcast. So today we're looking at relationships. Yeah, how to how to keep, not just build, but also keep it. And our text is Mark 10. Now, by the way, this passage starts about uh, talking about divorce, but it's, as we'll see as we go on, it's a lot more involved than divorce. It is much, much bigger than divorce. So we're going to go into a little bit of background and and history today so we can set this passage in its right context. Because, you know, when you don't have a right context, people can make the Bible say all sorts of strange, weird and wonderful things. So we're talking about relationships today and relationships are an area in our lives most of us need a lot of help with. Uh, It's hard to build and to keep a good relationship, not just with other people, that's hard enough, but it's also not that easy to have a good relationship with ourselves and God for that matter. Interestingly enough, one day Jesus, one day someone said to Jesus, if you could summarize all your teachings, what would be the most important teaching? And he distilled all his teaching down to one line, which was, this is the most important thing. Learn this. Love God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. It's like he's saying, that's from Luke 10, it's like he's saying, learn how to love well in three areas. It's very difficult to learn how to love well in three areas. You know, most of us have a preference for one or two. Very few people can love well in three areas. And when you think about it, for example, some people are really, really good at loving other people, right? And they're always putting other people ahead of their own needs. And they're always reaching out to other people. But they they never think about themselves. And then there's the other type that, is always thinking about themselves, always me, 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 what I need, what I feel. They're not really thinking about anyone else. So it's difficult to learn how to love yourself, other people, and God. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about this. Well, this is a teaching on what love looks like in a world that is anything but loving. And I think this is why so many of us have difficulty Uh, maintaining and sustaining a good loving relationship over the long haul because it's it's not modeled for us often. So our passage this morning, as I said at first glance, it looks like it's a passage on divorce. But I want to suggest to you right at the start that this is not solely about divorce. It's much bigger than that. It pertains to all of us, whether you're divorced or single or partnered or married, 
or dating is good for all of us. I'm going to read the passage to you. And it's from Mark 10, and it starts off that Jesus is in a conversation with the religious leaders who were actually antagonistic toward him. And so, and they're called Pharisees. And so Mark says that some Pharisees came to test Jesus by asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. Well, they said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two be united with his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Yeah, very interesting passage. And I think to set the context is extremely important. I've got this word test underlined in verse 2. Some Pharisees came to test him. This isn't some couple looking for counselling here. Now, initially, it is perplexing, as it was in Jesus' day, because later on in verse 10, the disciples say to Jesus, when they meet in the house and everyone's gone, they ask him again about this matter. In other words, they're saying, what do you mean that we can't divorce? This is crazy. How could anybody ever live this way? What do you mean we can't divorce? Which is a very, very good question. Because in that culture, at that time, this is first century Palestinian culture, Jesus' day, everybody agreed divorce was legal. Everyone agreed. Of course, a Jewish, as a Jewish male, you could divorce your wife. Now, under Roman law, a woman could divorce her husband, but Jesus was an observer of Jewish law, religious law. And everybody agreed a husband could divorce his wife. All he had to do was write a certificate of divorce. That was it. Nothing else. Now, notice I keep saying all a husband had to do, right? Because the women had no opportunity to divorce their husbands. This is a a male, this is a patriarchal culture, male-dominated culture. So the discussion and the controversy in Jesus' day was not is divorce permissible, but the discussion was, or the argument was, under what circumstances could you divorce your wife? And of course, there's always two two schools of thought, right? There's the more liberal school of thought that said, hey, if she ruins your meal, burns the toast, that's enough reason. Rabbi Hillel's school of thought. You don't need a good reason. You're the husband. If you're tired of her, write her the certificate of divorce. Get her out. The more conservative school in Jesus' day, Rabbi Shammai's school, said, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's got to be something for more important than that. It's got to be something like, I don't know, adultery. It's got to be something weightier than just burning the toast, right? 
So now note that this is all about men divorcing their wives. This is, this is the, the male-dominated society of Jesus' day. This is the world that he lived in. It's really important to understand the context and where Jesus is coming from. Women raised the children. They looked after the home. It was the men that studied the sacred texts. Women weren't even allowed to study their, their Torah, their, their Old Testament, what we would classify as the Bible. In fact, interestingly enough, the daily prayers of the first century Jewish male was, this is part of the daily prayer, praise be God, he has not created me a woman. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. I would be praying that too if I was a man and I was in Jesus' day. What a horrible life for a woman, women, right? It was men that were entitled to the inheritance. They had the property rights. They had the land rights. They had the heirs. They could work. They had the money. They had the power. Pretty unfair to our Western 21st century ears. But... This is the Bible times. This, this is the world that Jesus lived in. This, this, this context is really, really important because when a woman was disregarded by her husband protector, she lost everything. Status, reputation, economic security. She could be out on the streets begging, prostituting herself. When a woman was divorced by her husband in Jesus' day, she could actually die. There's no food stamps, there's no shelters, there's no agencies to step in. In other words, she's extremely vulnerable. She's extremely vulnerable if she's divorced. Now, given what you know about Jesus, he's in a discussion with some men about under what grounds can they divorce their wives. Given what you know about Jesus... How will divorce, will divorce sit well with him? This easy divorce for men. Given, you know, given what, that you know he always sides with the oppressed ones. He's always lifting up the women. He's always lifting up the children. He's always lifting up the outcasts. What is he going to say to the men of his day when they come with a question like that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, what he does is, actually, I think he's so disturbed by this question. Remember, the question was, uh, can, a, can a man uh, write a certificate of divorce for his wife? Can a man divorce his wife? I think he's so annoyed by this. He doesn't even discuss the question of the religious leaders. In fact, what he does is he turns the question back on them. So verse 2 said, they came to test him. The religious leaders came to test him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus turns the question back to them. What did Moses command you? In other words, that's like saying, you're the religious leaders. You're the one that studied the scripture. What does your scripture say? And they reply, yes, we can. We get to do that because Moses said it was okay, we could divorce. It's in Deuteronomy. There it is in the scripture. An interesting move by Jesus. This is a very interesting move by Jesus, the way that he t- 
takes the scripture and basically tells them, you've read it completely in the wrong way. It is completely wrong, the way you're reading the scripture. Jesus says, no. The reason that Moses gave you permission to divorce wasn't for you, it was for her protection. Because at least if you divorced her, at least if she had a piece of paper saying she was a free woman, maybe, maybe, maybe she would have a chance of finding another protector and provider. But it was never, ever okay to divorce your wife. It was never, ever God's intention. It was never God's will that you disregard your wife. Moses gave you that law because you were so hard-hearted. You had so little care. You had so little respect for her. No, it's not okay for you to divorce your wife. That's the context. In God's eyes, it's never okay to use people, to disregard people. So Jesus reminds uh, his antagonistic questioners of God's intention. And God's intention was always, from the very beginning, in fact, Jesus quotes Genesis, that people be respected and honoured and cared for and safe and secure in a lifetime of care. And so he quotes that Genesis passage, it's actually Genesis 2. And he says to them, have you not read? A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God joins together, let not people separate. The two shall become one flesh. That's talking about, actually, that's talking about making a family unit. That's talking about a partnership. That's talking about kinship. Interestingly enough, two becoming one flesh isn't anything to do with sex. One flesh or flesh and bone unions in the Old Testament, that's, an, that's Old Testament language. That's a way of saying, you're family to me. A relative could say, you are my flesh and bone. You could say that to a family relative. You are my flesh and blood. So the whole idea of the two becoming one flesh is about a permanent bonding, a unit of strength. So in a perfect world, which we're not living in, right, but in a world where God's will is done, which is actually the thing we pray for every time we're praying the Lord's Prayer, every time we pray for God's will to be done, we're actually praying that we would live in a world, in a community, in a country, in a family, where people are cherished and honoured and respected, that's God's will. So Jesus says, therefore, what God has joined, let no one separate. Why would you even want to, right? It's like you Pharisees, you're so lost. You're so far from understanding God's will. Your ways, you're, you're just trying to figure out ways and devise ways to justify your profound lack of care. So no, it's not okay to divorce your wife. 
Now, so if we wanted to talk about legitimate reasons for divorce, we'd need to use another passage, and we don't have time to go into that today, but I want to apply this now. I want to fast forward this, because that's been a lot of teaching, and I want to extrapolate some what I found some really fascinating thoughts about this passage and how it relates to sustaining and keeping good relationships today. Because as we look around us, we see so many people suffering, all ages, whether they're married or partnered or dating or whatever. Uh, there, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of people stuck in relationships that are not life-giving. Why is that? What is going on? Well, I was reading a comment on this passage from Pastor David Loos, and he sparked my uh, imagination with this. He said that real relationships, and he uses five adjectives to describe real relationships, good relationships, life-giving relationships. He says it's always about love, mutual dependence, respect, dignity, and protection. Now again, whether you're married or partnered or single or dating, everybody needs human contact to thrive, right? Most of us need some sort of human contact to thrive. Good, healthy, solid relationships have love, mutual dependence. Now, this mutual dependence is an interesting one because we would all agree, yeah, of course, everybody everybody needs love. Mutual dependence. Mutual dependence is a, a give and take. You will know when you're in a relationship where there isn't mutual dependence because you will either be the one that, uh, well, if you're the one who's giving all the time and you are uh, looking after this other person and you're making sure they're okay and you're always extending yourself, in time, you're going to get tired and further on down the road, you're going to get resentful and further on down the road, you're going to get angry. So mutual dependence, equality, mutual dependence is very important in a good relationship. And again, it doesn't have to be a marriage. This, is, this, is, this works for friendships too. Respect, dignity, protection. Now, there are other adjectives that we could use, but I think this is a good start. I don't think it's common knowledge. I don't think it's common knowledge that people know what good relationships are because there's too many people that stay in relationships that are sucking the life out of them. People partner with untrustworthy people in business because they're not careful enough to align themselves with people with similar values. People date others and live with someone and and the other one is clearly unloving in behavior or words. Why? People get hurt by friends who don't treat them well. Because love and mutual dependence and respect and dignity and protection, they're simply not there. They're not there. 
Why do people stay in these relationships? You know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus said to the religious leaders, this lack of care has no part in God's kingdom. It's like this lack of care has no part in God's way. It's like he's calling for an entirely different way to do life. This is what the kingdom of God's all about. It's about he's calling for an entirely different way to do life, to, to build communities to live as families, to, to foster between friends. And it seems that that call is every bit as needed and relevant today. You know, if we learn how to love ourselves, remember that part of Jesus' Trinity that we spoke about at the beginning, the need to learn how to love God and others and ourselves? I think that if we learn how to love ourselves, there's less chance that we will fall into unhealthy patterns within friendships and marriages and within extended family. Because I think we will learn how to honour ourselves and care for ourselves enough to stop and question things. It's like if we're in a relationship and something's not right, you know something doesn't feel right to you. You can ask yourself, you can pause and just say, does this feel loving? Does this feel like loving behavior? And if it doesn't, we have to learn how to trust or what we're feeling. We have to learn how to trust that intuition. Or mutual dependence. You're in a relationship. Something's not right. Is there a quality here? Do I feel like I'm being taken advantage of? If it's yes, then that's your spiritual growth point. If I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, that's a spiritual growth point for me that I have to stop and back off or respect. Do, do, I, do I sense I'm being respected? Well, what if the answer is not really? Why am I in the relationship then? What am I doing investing in this? Why am I giving this my time, my precious energy? Protection. Do I feel like I'm being protected? Or is way too much required of me? Now, only, only you can say no. No one else can help you do that. But I think that Jesus is calling us to do life differently. And it's not easy when we live in a world that doesn't love well. And we live in a world where people are, they take advantage of one another. And they push ahead and they dominate. But Jesus taught, you know, you live in the world, but you don't want to become like the world, right? You don't want to become like the very thing you don't like. Yeah, you don't want to become like that. So it's like you have to learn how to love yourself well. Don't yoke yourself. Don't partner yourself with someone who doesn't share your values. Right? Why have a friend that can't give you these things? Love, mutual dependence, respect, dignity, and protection. Why would you even want to do that? Right? Why have a business partner that lacks one or two of these qualities? Why settle for that? Why would you date someone 
who can't give you all of this? Why would you spend time year after year in a relationship like that with someone who can't give you this? Why would you want to be part of a church or a club or an organization that doesn't model this? Or at least try to model. No, we're not talking about being perfect here, right? We're all learning. We're all disciples. We're all students. We make mistakes. But our value is to learn how to love as Jesus loved. Jesus is calling us to learn how to do life in a new way. He's calling us to learn how to love in a new way. And it's a way that doesn't come easily to us, but it will come to us with God's help. I mean, Jesus was the one that said, you're not in this by yourself, by the way. I will be sending you the Spirit of God to come alongside you and walk with you and help you in this. God will show you and, and God will help us and guide us when we grapple with this important task of, of actually learning how to love. Actually, it's more than a task. Jesus said it was a commandment. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Something that you can learn. Love one another as I have loved you. Act yourself into this new way of living. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to love well. Because I say that courage because I think that often it requires a lot of changes. And uh, at times changes are very difficult to make. But in the end, we will be so much happier. In the end, we will be so much happier if we learn how to invest in the healthy relationships, the good ones that are life-giving, and release the other ones. Release them. Put them to the side. And I get it. Sometimes you can't, you know, because you're connected into extended families and you can't completely disconnect. But you can limit your time, right? You can limit your time. It's a new way of living. Well, thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to Jesus' Wisdom for Relationships. If it's not life-giving, if there's no love, if there's no mutual dependency, why invest so much? Learn how to love well. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry. Oh God, show us what real love looks like and help me let go of anything or anyone who is holding me back. Join with me next week for another episode of Celtic Preacher.